0: of influence for lots of different reasons. Because they have wealth, because they're good looking, because we can see their face on a building, lots of different places, because they own lots of different things. There are many reasons currently for reasons why people are influential. And today we're going to be looking at the second topic in a series that Ben introduced last week. Um, And it's helping us take biblical truths into our lives in a real. An accessible way. And last week, uh, Ben spoke on real need, and he looked at the story of the crippled beggar in Acts 3, and he he discussed with us how the crippled beggar thought he knew what his need was in life. He, He was holding out his hands and asking for money, and that's what he thought his need was in life. But then he encountered Peter and John, and they saw the real need in his life, because they were men of faith, And they were not limited by human possibilities. What is impossible with man is possible with God. And his situation was transformed. Not only did he walk, but he leapt and he praised God. So today we're going to read on from this story and look at real influence. So we can think of these people that have got influence in the world today. But we're going to look at what the Bible says about influence and how God sees influence. So we're going to look at Acts 3, 11-19, and then we're going to flick on to Acts 4, 1-22. You can follow me in your Bibles, or you can read with me from the screen. It says, Peter speaks to the onlookers, and this is straight after he's the miracle with the crippled beggar. It says, while the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us, as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and the Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith, in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Acts 4, I'm going to flick down a bit. It says, Peter and John before the Sanhedrin. I can't say that word, so you're going to bear with me. The priests and the captains of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John And because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who had heard the message believed, so that the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Another thing that I can't say. Anath? (laughs) Anath? My dad told me on the way here, and I've forgotten. Anas, the high priest was there, and so was Caiaphas. Caiaphas? Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family, they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to an account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they, could not see, since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with him, there was nothing they could say. And then last slide. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. So here we have a story, and we've got Peter and John and they're Jesus' disciples. And they've been there since the beginning of Jesus' ministry. They've seen him perform miracles, and they've heard his teachings. They watched him go to the cross and then they watched him raise back to life and go to be with the Father. And they're pitched against the rulers and the authorities of their age, the teachers and the elders of the Sanhedrin. And what we have here is God's representatives versus man's representatives. you have got Peter and John versus the Sanhedrin. And they're all focused on this issue, and this is the one that Ben preached about last week. There's a crippled beggar. He's gone 40, and he has been healed. And at the crux of the issue, or the heart of the issue is who has the authority, the Sanhedrin with their words or the disciples with their message and miraculous acts? Who's influencing the people? So we're going to unpack this story and look at real influence this morning. And to do this, we're going to pitch man's influence versus God's influence. We're going to look at the way that as mankind, we can try and gain or influence others and the way that God sees influence, and the way that God uses influence. So the first point in this passage that we see is that mankind uses influence. Mankind's influence is in position, and God's influence is in purpose. So the the Sanhedrin had a position. They were the authority in, in Jerusalem at the time. But Peter and John have been given a purpose from God. And on an earthly level, man uses position in order to be influential. But God gives each person an individual, and that creates influence instead. So they're completely different things. We can have, you know, someone like, for example, Barack Obama. He's the president of the United States, okay? We, there's that position position the President of the United States, that's where the influence is, it's that position. If Barack Obama wasn't President President of the United States, he wouldn't have that same influence. So on our level, we tend to create a position, and the person in that position has influence. But what God does is he comes along and he says, Ben, I've got something for you to do, and he gives you a purpose. And when you carry out that purpose, that's when you create influence because other people will look at the way that you're living, and say, "I want to be like that," and they follow you. So instead of obeying a position, they're influenced by the purpose that they can see in your life. And the difference between these is one is the taking of influence. A position, you, a position is about taking influence. You know, I mean, we can all think back to you know kings of old. They were kings, and they used to take the influence from the people because. In being king, they would demand things of you, and it's it's almost like a, do do you know what I mean? It's like a snatching, it's like a requiring something of you, whereas God says he empowers a person, and out of that empowerment, and out of that purpose, it gives influence. So one's snatching it in, and one's letting it go, and that's the way that God works. God works with an open hand, and this is real influence. Instead of using a position to demand or change or get a response from someone, you create in someone else a desire to change. So instead of using a position to demand or change or require a response from someone, you create in someone else the desire to change. True influence is when you look at someone and you think, I want to be like that, and you follow them, rather than someone saying to you, change, do this, do that. And that's the kind of life that God is calling us to lead. He's giving us a purpose, and he's saying, use this purpose to influence others. Don't demand things from people, but be, be something that people want to be. That's true, real influence. And when I was thinking about this message today, I was praying, and I was asking God, what's a really good example of this? And he reminded me of one of my favorite films. <laughs> You'll all of it. Who's watched Braveheart? Give me a wave. Yeah, okay. So if you know the story, you know the story. I'm going to give you a little bit of outline, and then we're going to watch a clip. Braveheart is set in the 1100s, if my history is correct. And it's at a time when England and Scotland are at war with each other. And Scotland is fighting to kick the Brits out. They weren't very nice. Um, (laughs) And you have this guy who... there's there's lots of different clans and they're all fighting over as much as they can get. They're fighting over lands in Scotland. They're fighting over uh, privilege and patronage, if you know, like um, respect from England. And they're all scrapping together. And then this man comes along and he's called William Wallace. And he doesn't care about position and he doesn't care about what they're fighting over. He has a purpose and his purpose is to see his people free. So we're going to watch a short And I'm going to explain how it fits into this point afterwards. Be Sir William Wallace. Sir William, in the name of God, we declare and appoint thee guardian and high protector of Scotland. And thy captains, as aid to camp, stand and be recognized. No, but his weight with the commoners could unbalance everything. The will kiss his arse, and so we must. Sir William! Sir William, inasmuch as you and your captains hail from a region long known to support the Balliol clan, May we invite you to continue your support and uphold our rightful claim? Damn the bilious pile! Gentlemen, gentlemen! Now is the time to declare a king. Oh, whoa, wait, and you're prepared to recognise our legitimate succession? You're, you're the yours. ones who won't support the rightful. claim. Those were lies when you first got the. Oh, I demand recognition of these documents. These documents are lies. We've beaten the English, but they'll come back because you won't stand together. What will you do? I will invade England and defeat the English on their own ground. Uh. (laughs) Invade? That's impossible. Why? Why is that impossible? You're so concerned with squabbling for the scraps from Longshank's table that you've missed your God-given right to something better. There's a difference between us. You think the people of this country exist to provide you with position. I think your position exists to provide those people with freedom. And I go to make sure that they have it. So there's a great quote at the end there. You think the people are there to provide you with position, but I think your position is about providing people with freedom. And we can be like that. We can be people on a human level that are so wrapped up in, in where we are in the world and what position we hold and what relationships we have with one another and who's in charge that we forget actually life isn't about holding a position. It's about living out a purpose. They become so entrenched in these positions that when someone suggested something crazy and they suggested a dream and a vision, They couldn't see it because they were so entrenched in the position that they held. And God says, don't worry about position. Don't worry about what people think of you. Like, have a purpose from God and live in a passionate way. And the thing is that people didn't fight for William Wallace because they had to. They fought with him because they wanted to. And that's real influence. We want to be the kind of people that draw others alongside us not because they have to, because they're following an order, but because they want to be with us, because they see something in our lives that they want. And that is real influence. And we see that influence in this chapter. Peter and John did not have a position, but they did have a purpose. And that purpose had an effect. It says 5,000 people, they grew to 5,000 people And before there were 3,000. 2,000 people were influenced in one day because two men stood up with a purpose and they weren't ashamed of it. Who had the influence in that situation? And the second point is this. Mankind's influence is in popularity, but God's influence is in power. And the second way that we can see influence on a human level is through popularity. And what's interesting about this situation is that when Peter and John are pulled into the Sanhedrin, who's sitting there waiting for them? And now I'm going to have to say their names again. But Annas and Caiaphas. Is that right? Yes. Okay, so Annas and Caiaphas are sitting there waiting for them. And these guys are the same guys that about three months earlier condemned Jesus to death. They sent him to Pontius Pilate. The very same guys who who sent Jesus to the cross, are sitting there with Peter and John. I bet when they killed Jesus, they thought that that would be the end of it. But then two more guys are pulled in, and it seems to be multiplying. The miracles are still happening, and in the name of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but if that was me, I think I probably would have wet myself, and then, and then realized, oh my goodness, I made a horrible, horrible mistake, and, and freak out a bit. But they didn't. They made the same mistake with Peter and John that they made with Jesus. And they were so worried about holding on to their position and holding on to their popularity that they couldn't see the truth in front of them. And Pontius Pilate didn't even think that Jesus had committed any kind of crime either. It says in the the Gospels that, you know, he wanted to let Jesus go, but he was more afraid about the people's perceptions of him. And he was so invested in what everyone thought of him that he made a terrible mistake. And this is something that we're really susceptible to as humans. Who's got Facebook? No? Okay, well, you don't have to have Facebook. But, you know, if you do have Facebook, you know, we can't help it, right? When you log on and you see you've got messages or people have liked your comments or you've got friend requests, you're like... Well, you might not be like that. But, uh, you know, you still there's that little, like, ooh, like feeling inside. I'm, I, like, when people get a text, and they're like, somebody loves me. Um, or, I don't know, it doesn't have to be Facebook. It could be, like, when you get invited to your boss's house for, for dinner because he, he singled you out. Or when everyone at work is laughing at your jokes. Like, we like to be liked. That's part of the human nature. But what happens is, if that becomes more important to you than your principles, then you'll sacrifice your principles. The price of popularity is that if we become people pleasers and that becomes more important to us, then we'll compromise on who we are because we've invested our identity in what other people think of us rather than in our principles, rather than in what we've decided to live like or. The the way that we've chosen to live, if we invest more in what people think of us than in what we've chosen to live, we'll change and we'll veer off to what they want of us instead, right? So um, a a great example of this is in politics. I'm a politics student. You will all know this. If you don't, you do now. I'm a politics student. (laughs) And, uh, and uh, you watch politicians, right? We, all, we don't have to be a politics student to watch politicians. And they all stand up there and they do exactly the same thing. And they tell you what you want to hear, right? Yeah? Oh, we won't cut education. Oh, we won't cut public jobs. Oh, you know, of course we're for the environment. You know, you can't go wrong with saying that you want to save the planet, right? That's a great thing. They tell you what you want to hear because they see where the crowd is going and then they run out in front of it. Follow me actually, um, and I was in a seminar, it was, it was a Christian conference that I went to, and we were in a seminar talking about politics and Christians being in politics, I've got no problem with that, I think it's a great thing. But what I did have a problem with, one person said, you know, well, as Christians in politics, we're going to have to prepare to compromise a bit, because we've got to be realistic. And in the middle of the seminar, <laughs> sorry, but this is the kind of person I am, struck my hand up, I was like, absolutely not. Like, no way. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's like, you know, if, if you're prepared to compromise, then what's the point? What's the point in having principles? Yeah. I have principles, but I will let go of them when it's necessary. I mean, what? The, what, what? You know? And actually, like, Psalm, Psalm 15 says, the righteous man keeps his oath, even when it costs him. And that's the kind of life that God is calling to us. Influence is integrity and having integrity is really important. And it's more important than popularity. It is more important to hold on to your beliefs than it is for people to like you. And it's not a bad thing that people like you. It's not a bad thing that we like it when people like us. But if we become more invested in that than in our principles, if we're prepared to compromise, we're in trouble. So that's the level that we work at as man. We want to be popular. We like to please people. But instead, what God does is he gives us power. So if man's influence is in popularity, God's influence is through power. God empowers us to live an extraordinary life that is not controlled by what people expect or think of us. And chapter 4, 13 says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Where did this courage come from? How come from? speak out in such a way that spoke straight back at the authorities of their day and they stood by their principles no matter what kind of trouble they got in God's answer is in verse 8, it says Peter filled by the Holy Spirit and he answered them, God's answer is to empower us us through the Holy Spirit and when Ben asked me to speak on this passage um, I I was nearing the end of the Gospel of John, it's a great book the youth are reading it at the moment aren't you Yes, yes. <laughs> so it's a, it's a great book. It's a, it follows the life of Jesus. And I was getting near to the end of John, so I thought I'd read straight through and on into Acts to this passage. And the sense that I got as I read it all the way through was the importance of the Holy Spirit as Jesus' answer. And the disciples, you know, they, they lived with Jesus. You follow the story through John. And the disciples, they've seen Jesus perform miracles. They've watched him preach. They've heard his words. You know, sometimes I think, if I'd only been there, then I would be different. But, you know, this is a good, good way of seeing that we wouldn't be any different because they saw all of these things. Then they saw Jesus die on the cross. And then they saw him, like, raised to life. What a miracle is that. And sometimes I think, if I'd have seen that, I'd be out there with a megaphone. You know, like, wow, get out. Like, get away. Just look, check out what happened, right? But, but they, and they, Jesus spent 40, sorry, I'm getting quite indignant. Jesus spent 40, 40 days with them, teaching them, and then he goes back up to be with the father in front of their very eyes. But they didn't get it. How do we know that they didn't get it? Because in Acts 1, 2, round about there, they've locked themselves in a room. I mean, Ah! Like, Jesus has lived with them for three years. They've seen miracles. They've watched people raised from the dead. They've watched Jesus raised from the dead. They've, you know, they've seen the Lord and Savior come back to life. And he's gone back to be with God. And they're hiding in a room. And they're frightened of the Sanhedrin. They're frightened of the authorities. They're frightened of what will happen to them if they get out of this room. They didn't get it. But yet, two chapters later, in Acts 4 we see them facing that same Sanhedrin that they were afraid of and answering them with courage. What is the difference? Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes. In two chapters, they're staring in the face of the people that they were so afraid of before and speaking out with courage and boldness. With the Holy Spirit, this power of God, he turns the ordinary into the extraordinary the Bible says that they recognize that they were uneducated and unschooled men, but that they've been with Jesus. The Holy Spirit turns the ordinary into the extraordinary. And these men influence people because they're acting out of this power of God. God empowers you to be an influence with people through the Holy Spirit. And the thing about the power of God is that there is no answer to it there's no replying the power of God. It says in verse 14 to 16, but since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and they conferred together, what are we going to do with these men? Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle and we cannot deny it. There is no denying the power of God. If we want to be people that live lives of real influence, we have to lay aside a desire for popularity and live out of the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, And that is the life that empowers us to extraordinary living. Amen? Okay, and the third point is this. Mankind's influence is in persuasion, but God's influence is in prayer and praise. And you'll be pleased to know that this is a short point because that's pretty much it. Okay, so in verse 16 and 21, we read, What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign, and and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them not to speak in this name any longer. When they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus, but Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what has happened. And you see here man's response when, when we come up against something that we don't like or a situation that seems difficult. We use words and we try and persuade people or... You know, we try and wheedle our way around people or persuade people, or it says here, threaten people. You know, as humans, we use words to try and change people's minds or opinions. But if you flick down further, you get into the believer's prayer, and this is the disciples' response. And, they, and it says, On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together. In prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made, the heur- e- <laughs> you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant David. And it goes on, and they pray out this great prayer. And it says, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And this was their response. And it's our response too. We can all praise, and we can all pray. It says in Philippians 4, 6, don't be anxious about anything, but by prayer and petition, present your request to God with thanksgiving, and the peace of God which brings all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds and Christ Jesus, so God encourages us to reach out to Him in praise and prayer. I think it's really important to know that on a human level, because we can come up against situations and think, "Oh, I've got to do something about this. I've got to have a strategy about this. I've got to come up with some kind of, you know, solution or, or say something to someone." And and recently, I was in a situation where, um, yeah. Recently, I was in a situation where something had happened to me and I was really annoyed about it. I was like, oh, like, I didn't, I wanted to let it go, but I couldn't quite let it go. And I wanted to say something to somebody who had really annoyed me. And I was like, oh, you know, I need them to change their attitude. I need them to change their response. I, I, I want them to do this. I want them to give me this back or whatever. And and there's that sense that that's the way that we do things as humans. We use persuasion. We use words. We use, like, we directly engage with one another in order to try and influence another person's position. But actually, the way that God says is bring it up in prayer and praise. And so, so I, I said, okay, God, I'm going to have to pray about this. I'm going to have to praise you through this and not be anxious about it and just let it go. Actually, the peace of God came on my heart, and it's not an issue anymore. So instead of being an angry person who was like, rah, you did this, blah, 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 blah God was able to bring peace on my heart and through prayer and praise, I was able to see what's really important in life and and that relationship isn't broken and I hope that I can still be a person of influence in that person's life by my response. Now you're wondering, was it me? Uh, (laughs) uh, Anyway, uh (laughs) so we've looked at three ways in which, you know, man seeks to influence other people. And we've looked at three ways in which God sees influence. And they're completely different. Mankind's influence is in position. We create positions and from that position we put out authority. We put out influence. But God's influence is in purpose. Every person here has a purpose from God. It says in Jeremiah 29, 11, you know, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, and not to harm you. It says in Ephesians, he has created good works in advance for us to do. God has a purpose for your life. And when you live out of that purpose, others will look at your life and say, I want what she's got. I want what he's got. And you will be a natural leader and you will have natural influence over others. But not from a position of of bearing down on people with a rod, but from a position of... Uh, humanity and, and one level to another between people and people will follow you because it, it comes with respect. The second is mankind's influence is in popularity but God's influence is in power and I can't think of two things that are completely op- the opposite of each other than this. Man's influence is in gaining people's opinion and good opinion and people pleasing and gathering others around them and, and that's the way that we see influence, but God influences through power, through a release of the Holy Spirit. And it's not in connecting upwards like this, it's in connecting upwards with God. And what you see in Peter and John's example is that they didn't need people's good opinions of them, they acted out of the purpose that God had given them in the power of the Holy Spirit. So even when other people followed them, they didn't get big headed about it, it didn't change their nature or the person that they were because they were invested in God and not in what people thought of them. And the third point is mankind's influence is in persuasion, and God's influence is through prayer and praise. And we can see that when we have a situation that's difficult, it's really important not to try and fix it ourselves or use words or connecting on a human level, but actually when you come before God and you say, God, I've got this situation and I need to change it, I need to influence this situation or this person or whatever, this, whatever it is that you're praying about, God's God releases in that moment when you turn to him and you are signing on to being under the protection and under the influence of heaven itself and you're, you're drawing out from the influence of heaven rather than drawing off the influence of others and that's far more powerful. So I'm just going to finish off by reading a story out from this book by Dave Early. It's called, well, you can come and find out the title of it at the end if you want to. Got nothing to do with today's sermon. But there's a story in it. And it tells a story of a man who was influential in this way, in the way that we've been talking about. It says in 1904, William Borden graduated from a Chicago high school as heir to the Borden family fortune. He was already a millionaire. That would be nice. For his high school graduation present, his parents gave the 16 year old Borden. Trip around the world. That would also be nice. As the young man traveled through Asia, the Middle East, and Europe, he felt a growing burden for the world's hurting people. Finally, Bill Borden wrote home about his desire to be a missionary. One friend expressed surprise that he was throwing himself away as a missionary. In response, Bill wrote two words in the back of his Bible No reserves. Even though Bill was wealthy, He arrived on on the campus at Yale University in 1905, trying to look like just one other freshman. Quickly, however, Borden's classmates noticed something unusual about him, and it wasn't his money. One of them wrote, He came to college far ahead spiritually than any of us. He had already given his heart in full surrender to Christ and had really done it. We who were his classmates learned to lean on him and find in him a strength that was as solid as a rock just because of this settled purpose and consecration. During his college years, Bill Borden made one entry into his personal journal that defined what his classmates were seeing in him. The entry said, say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. During his first semester at Yale, Borden started something that would transform campus life. One of his friends described how it had happened. It was well on in the first term when Bill and I began to pray together in the morning before breakfast. I cannot say positively whose suggestion it was, but I feel sure it must have originated with Bill. We had been meeting only a short time, when a third student joined us, and soon after a fourth. The time was spent in prayer after a brief reading of scripture. Bill's handling of the scripture was helpful. He would read to us from the Bible, show us something that God had promised, and then proceed to claim that promise with assurance. Borden's small morning prayer group gave birth to a movement that spread across campus. By the end of his first year, 150 freshmen were meeting weekly for Bible study and prayer. By the time Borden was a senior, 1,000 of Yale's 1,300 students were meeting in such groups. Borden made it his habit to seek out the most incorrigible or difficult students to try and bring them to salvation. In his sophomore year, we organized Bible study groups and divided up the class of 300 or more each man, interested in taking a certain number, so that all might, if possible, possible, be reached. The names were gone over one by one, and the question asked, who will take this person? When it came to someone thought to be a hard proposition, there would be an ominous pause. Nobody wanted the responsibility. Then Bill's voice would be heard, put him down for me. Borden's outreach ministry was not confined to the Yale campus, He cared about widows and orphans and people with handicaps. He rescued drunks from the streets of New Haven. To rehabilitate them, he founded the Yale Hope Mission. One of his friends wrote that he might often be found in the lower parts of the city at night on the street, in a cheap lodging house or some restaurant to which he had taken a poor and hungry fellow to feed him, seeking to lead the man to Christ. Borden's missionary call narrowed to the Muslim Kansu group of China. Once that goal was in sight, Borden never wavered. He also inspired his classmates to consider missionary service. One of them said, He certainly was one of the strongest characters I have ever known, and he put backbone into the rest of us at college. There was real iron in him, and I felt that he was made of stuff that martyrs were made of, and heroic missionaries of more modern times. Although he was a millionaire, Bill seemed to realize always that he must be about his father's business and not wasting time in the pursuit of amusement. Upon graduation from Yale, Borden turned down some high-paying job offers. In his Bible, he wrote two more words, no retreats. William Borden went on to graduate, at, went on to graduate work at Princeton Seminary in New Jersey. When he finished his studies at Princeton, he sailed to China because he was hoping to work with Muslims in, of the Kansu group. He stopped first in Egypt to study Arabic. And while he was there, he, contract, he contracted spinal meningitis. Within a month, the 25-year-old William Borden was dead. When the news of William Whiting Borden's death was cabled back to the US, the story was carried by nearly every American newspaper. His biographers wrote, a wave of sorrow went around the world. Borden not only gave away his wealth, but himself, in a way that was so joyous and natural that it seemed a privilege rather than a sacrifice. Was Borden's untimely death a waste? Not in God's plan. Prior to his death, Borden had written two more words in the back of his Bible, underneath the words, no reserves and no retreats, he had written no regrets. Amen. There was a young man who... William It's good to honor a man like that, who did not use his position, he did not use his wealth, he did not use who he was to justify... Gaining more or holding on to more, but instead of holding in and holding on, he opened up and opened out. And he gave freely to people, so much so that when he died, the influence of his life and the impact of who he was changed people. It transformed people. And my encouragement to you today is that that is the kind of person that we want to be. You don't have to be a missionary to China. That's not what I'm saying this morning. What I'm saying is wherever you are, whatever place of or position that you hold on an earthly level, that does not change how much of an influence you can be. God changes how much of an influence you can be. And this morning I want to pray together to finish that God would use us to be influential people, not through popularity or persuasion or position, but living a life of purpose that causes others to look at your life, and in that simple act it creates in them the desire to change in living a life full of God's power that changes and impacts the world around us in order to make a difference that lasts, and about being a person that rests on God through prayer and praise, never being anxious, but always submitting everything to God. So why don't we stand together together, And I, I want to ask you, if, you're, if you want to be that kind of person, you want to find God's purpose for your life, whether you feel that you've found it and you want to carry on living it out, whether you feel you've never known God's purpose for your life and you want to... If that's the kind of person that you want to be, I want to encourage you to put your hand on your heart and we're going to pray together. God, I want to thank you for the truth that Peter spoke out to that crowd. And in chapter 3, he says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And Jesus, I thank you that because of what you did at the cross, we can know that power of the Holy Spirit, we can know that relationship with you, and we can have a purpose from God that makes our life worth something, that makes our life worth living. I thank you, Jesus, that you have a purpose for every person in this room. I thank you, Jesus, that you know the path that you have for them. You know the path that you've played out before their feet. God and I ask this morning that we would get a revelation of the power and the presence of God, that we would have a revelation of that purpose of God for our lives. And just while Andy prays, I want you to encourage you to just begin to speak to God in your own words and in your own heart and ask him about that purpose for your life. If you've never had it and you want it, ask God for a purpose for your life. Say, God, I want to live a life that is influential. I want to live a life that has a purpose behind it.